You see, let's pray. God, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the sense of your spirit. God, thank you for meeting each of us as we've come in this morning right where we're at. Thank you for uh, the forgiveness you give us. Thank you for the hope that's in store for us. Thank you for this present moment where we can meet with you. And uh, God, thank you for this time of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I saw so many of you are visiting. I, I have a sense some of you maybe you're here for a few weeks. I met a couple of you, so I want to welcome you. My name's Ralph Howe. I'm one of the elders here, and I'll do the message this morning. And I have no doubt for those who are here in China for two or three weeks that uh, God's got a lot of interesting and fun things in store for you. So really glad you're able to spend this morning with us. Um, over the next three weeks, we're going to kind of focus on family a little bit. And uh, so this week, I'm going to lead off and, and give the message, and then the next two weeks, Jim Burroughs and then Jim and Judy Burroughs will also uh, be sharing. They're just uh, fantastic speakers and just really go around. Oh, you're here. There you are. I didn't even know you were here, and I said you're fantastic. So really looking forward to the next couple weeks, too, with you guys and what they've got to share. Um, we're going to spend two weeks here talking about a kind of fatherhood. I'm going to start off today. I'm really going to focus on some of the characteristics of God as our father and then how us as dads can seek to model that. Uh, in, being, in being dads, but of course the message isn't just for dads, so uh, you're not allowed to tune out, ladies and kids and everybody else. Um, I love movies. I think the older the, I get, the more I, I understand that movies, there's, there's a depth, some movies are just fun, but there's a depth to a lot of movies. And Hollywood has really figured out how to push our buttons. <clears throat> and what you see is you see themes over and over again. Stories are told in different ways, but the same theme. And one of the primary themes that comes over and over again in Hollywood is the theme of the power of a father and the power of a father's approval in the life of his kids. Seriously, I've got young kids, so we see all kinds of kid movies, and it amazes me. I, just a few that I know that I've paid attention to, the, the, the kid movie Nemo, it's all about a, a son that gets separated from the dad and the son reuniting with the father. You know, Chicken Little is a story about a little well, chicken, right? <laughs> a little boy, chicken, but seeking the approval of his dad and finally getting the approval of his dad. And, um, you know, on and on it goes. Star Wars and so many movies have this powerful theme of the need of, of a dad and a dad's approval in our life. So what we're going to do today is just look at three qualities of God as our father. And then along the way, I'll make a few applications um, as dads. And he, here's the thing. Uh, first and foremost, above and beyond anything else, as we look at God as He's revealed Himself in the Bible, we need to understand that He has revealed Himself and He has created us for relationship. He hasn't created us to, to, to walk around trying to be perfect and trying to do more. He's created us for an intimate, personal, joyful relationship with Him. When we look at the complexity of the universe and the amazing physical world that we're a part of. We can stand in awe of the power and the intellect of God, and certainly that's appropriate, right? But above and beyond everything else, God says, know me as a father. Know me as a father. When God created Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us that he walked in the cool of the evenings in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That was at the heart of their relationship. So as I look at myself as a dad, and for those of you who are dads, whether your kids are young or grown and left the house, it doesn't matter. This still all applies. I think first and foremost, I need to provide a relationship with my kids. And so we'll look at a couple of Bible verses here. And uh, it amazes me when I look at God the Father, because we know that God has one begotten Son, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. 
He was God walking among us. He was the most, most healthy, most sane, most intelligent man that ever walked the earth. And when he started his public ministry at the age of 30, his heavenly father spoke to him audibly so that others could hear. You know what he said? In, uh, in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus is starting his public ministry, and God the Father says this. He says, Jesus, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. As we all long to hear that from those that we respect, from our moms, from our dads, from our siblings, from our teachers, from everybody, but that role of a dad is extra, extra special. And I'm aware some, some of us here had a great experience with a dad, some of us didn't, and, and I understand that, so I know a message like this can even push some buttons. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, we've got a heavenly father uh, who loves us and, and who speaks these words of affirmation. Here's what I've discovered. I don't know, if maybe I'm different, but I've discovered the world's pretty hard place. Um, I've, I've noticed it's pretty tough out there, right? Um, Outside of our friends and our family, this close little circle that we end up being close to, there aren't many people, maybe there aren't any people who are really pulling for us to succeed in our life and find joy and purpose. So when we lead our homes, moms and dads and old, older siblings, this really applies to you too because I had an older sister and, you know, she scarred me a bit. <laughs> you know, she was rough, you know, but I love my sister. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. But when we lead our homes... We need to understand that our kids are going to go out into a difficult world in school environments, work environments, social environments where the world is going to seek to tear our kids down. And so my wife and I have purposed in our home that our home will be a place of peace. It will be a place of encouragement. Now, we don't do it perfect, of course, um, but that's what we are striving for to be encouragers. Um, I, I worked, uh, many years ago, I worked in a sports ministry. So I have a lots of sports illustrations. And uh, in America, you play football, American football. So it's, it's the one with the pads and the helmets and you run around and try to hurt people, right? Um, so here's a true story of a college team. There was, there was a man, a young man who really loved football and he really wanted to play in his college team. And he was about as hard a worker as you would ever find. Um, but he wasn't good enough physically to quite make the team. One of the requirements to make the team was you had to be able to run one mile around the track at the college. It would be four runs around a quarter of a mile track. And you had to run that in six minutes or less or you couldn't be on the team. He was going to be a particular position where he had to do that. In order to make the traveling team, which was his desire, he had to do that. But the coach had a warm heart for him because this guy worked so hard. And so the coach said, you can come every day this final week of tryouts. And if any one of the next five days you can beat the time, you'll be on the team. So the coach just saw this guy work hard, wanted to give him a chance. First four times, he didn't make it. He woke up the morning of the fifth time. He went out early. It was a 6.30 in the morning thing before everything started. It was going to be his last chance. And he knew he had trained as hard as he could, and he knew he was falling short. But he still came out, and he got there. It was kind of a foggy day. Um, I don't know if it was pollution. I think it was just foggy. Um, <laughs> but it was, a, it, was a, it was a foggy day. And he was in the locker room, and he didn't have that successful walk walking out to the track with the coach. The head was down. He kind of knew his fate was sealed, but he was going to give it one more try. And as he got to the track, true story, as he got to the field and looked up, the entire team, over 50 players, were out there waiting for him. And when he looked out and he realized they were there, they started to cheer. They started to clap, and they started to rah-rah and encourage him, right? And when he got to the starting line, a small group of them, four or five of them, ran the first quarter mile with him 
And they told him, you don't even have to think about anything. All you have to do is run with us, and we're going to pace you. You stay with us, and you're going to make the time. And when he got to another part of the track, four new people, five new people joined him, and they ran, and they kept pace. And the whole time they went around, they said, today's your day. You're going to make the team. You deserve to be on the team. Now, wouldn't this be a horrible story if he didn't make it? <laughs> right? Wouldn't this be terrible, you know, if this was like, you know, oh, he didn't make it, sorry. But it's a good story. Of course, he made it. He made it. See, words of encouragement. The Bible tells us literally, actually, that we have the power of life and death in our tongue. And dads, in our role with our kids, nobody will speak with more power in your life, in their life, than you will. And it's true in all of our relationships. The right words at the right time to a child are incredibly valuable. It's also true that the wrong words at the wrong time can be devastating, right? I, was, I grew up in a broken home. I came from a divorced home. I came with love in my family, but we had our issues. When I was 18 years old, I did a bunch of dumb stuff and nothing major, but I, but I, I embarrassed my family. I did some things and got tangled up and had to go to court, and it really was nothing major, but it was embarrassing to me and my family, and it was wrong, completely wrong. Um, and I, my, my parents were divorced, and I went to visit my dad after this whole thing had come out. I was at his house, and my dad, in a drunken rage, came after me with a chicken, uh, with a chicken. <laughs> he came after me with a chicken. <laughs> he came after me, I'm glad we're laughing, because I don't mean this to be all dramatic, but he came after me with a kitchen chair. And he, in a drunken rage, chased me out of the house and threw the chair at me across the lawn as I ran to the car to get in the car, saying bad things to me. Now, I love my dad, and we've repaired, and this was a long, long time ago. But that moment marked me. I mean, the man that I needed the most in my life to believe in me, to, to forgive me, to speak affirmation to me in that moment didn't. But in other times, he did, so it's all good. But dads, every word we speak to our kids so important, right? Now listen, if your kids are out of the house, your kids are grown, it is never too late to start encouraging your kids. And I know not all of us are parents. Every person you come in contact, guys, make it a habit. If you say you're a follower of Christ, then it's our job to encourage others in genuine ways, right? Maybe you work in an environment where your boss has never signed a kind word to you in two years, you know, so you just got all this stuff in your heart. You know what God says? God says, be an encourager. Speak words of life. That's what God does, right? So when I think about my role as a dad, who my heavenly father is, um, to be in a relationship with my kids, and part of that relationship is to be an encourager to my kids. And then a second, second part, which is, um, oh, let me, let me read a quote. I like this quote. Um, Judicious praise is to children what the sun is to flowers. I just, I like that. Judicious praise is to children what the sun is to flowers. By the way, don't worry about overdoing it. Don't worry about overdoing it with praising your kids. The world's going to tear them down soon enough, right? I mean, experience in life is going to tear them down soon enough. But if you can build that bedrock of confidence within them and your love for them, then they'll be okay, right? Jim and Judy, if I do anything wrong here, you can fix it next week, right? You'll... Okay, 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 okay. So, second thing when I think about the relationship with the kids is a parent, a dad, parents are to provide correction for their kids. 
Uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says this, if you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. That's pretty strong. If you love your children, you will be prompt to discipline. Our kids need boundaries, and they're looking to us to provide boundaries, right? And I think that's pretty, pretty obvious. I could probably just give example after example with my four kids, uh, but I'll just leave it at that. Part of our relationship with God is God creating boundaries and correcting us when we're off target because he knows that by staying within the boundaries, it's what's best for our life. So moms and dads, we cannot neglect the responsibility to correct, to discipline, and point the way to our kids, right? So important. And then the last one I'll say, certainly God embodies so much in the relationship with us, but this one we can't miss this. Don't miss this. We are to enjoy our kids. We are to enjoy our kids. Psalm 127 verses 3 and 4 says this, children are a gift from the Lord. Did you feel like your kids were a gift from the Lord on the way to work this morning? I mean, on the way to church this morning? <laughs> did you wake, did you get in the car early and, and get to McDonald's and did it all go perfect? Did they feel like a gift to you? Okay, maybe my, may, may, may Linda, maybe we were the only ones. Maybe we were the only ones that had trouble this morning. I don't know. <laughs> children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward for him. From him, children born to a young man are like, an ar like arrows in a warrior's hand. How happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, in the midst of raising children, it doesn't always feel that way, right? But this is what God said is, says is true. God says, I've given you them as a gift. I've given you them as a reward. I've given you them to bring joy and happiness to your life. But, you know, I could change a few words in this psalm, and then we would see what the enemy wants us to feel as parents. The enemy might say this, children are a burden from the Lord. They are a punishment from him. Children born to a young man, or like, sure, I got to skip that part. How sad is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, I, I say that a bit seriously because in moments in parenthood, it feels overwhelming. And it feels challenging beyond your capacity to find joy in moments, but certainly deep there's joy. But don't ever lose sight of the fact that God delights over you, and we are to delight in our children. I've just read three times in the last five weeks, I've read a book three times, and I've taken notes, and it's called Choosing to Cheat by Anley Stanley, and it's directed right at men, Choosing to Cheat, and it's a, it's a provocative title, and what he's talking about, every man cheats. What he's talking about is every man cheats either his work or his family for his time. And it's such an amazing book. I just wrote down some quotes from it. Uh, let, me, let me read a quote here. He says, we all cheat daily. We have no other choice between work, family, hobbies, priorities, and other things. We do not have enough time to get everything done. He says, your problem is not discipline, organization, the fact that your family demands too much of your time, or a failure to design the perfect schedule. The problem is that there's too much to get done. Hey guys and moms, I, I think I want to let us off the hook here a bit, and if we're feeling guilty because we don't have enough time at home and we don't have enough time at work, that's the reality. There's not enough time, right? So Andy Stanley's whole premise, he's a pastor in America, 
He says, when you're choosing to cheat, don't cheat your family, cheat work. There's a thousand other people that can do what you're doing at work, but only one person can play your role in your family, right? Andy Stanley says this. He says, um, there's never been a kid that's ever said, hey, Dad, we've played enough. Why don't you go back to the office and get some more work done, right? <laughs> Dad, any kid ever said that to you, right? So I read this. I was at work. I was cheating at work, right? I was, I was, I was at my office and I had some time and I was reading and I saw that and I, I went right home at the end of the day and, and I brought baseball gloves in America play baseball, everybody does it. So I brought me a baseball glove and my son a baseball glove home from America. Got a real baseball, you know, and if it hits you, it hurts and all that. And, and I went right to the, I'm, I'm going to throw a baseball around with Jonah. You know, I read this quote and I get home and I race and I get the stuff and I find Jonah. And I was like, Jonah, let's go throw a baseball around. And Jonah said, no, thanks, Dad. I'm going to go to Andrew's house. And with that, he went out the door, you know, and ran down the street. And I'm standing there with my two baseball gloves, you know, like, you know. But I know it's still registered. Every time we make our kids a priority, it registers. And you know what happens, dads? You know what happens, moms, when we, with good intentions, take an extra trip or an extra evening at a meal or even a church function? We've got to watch everything we do. We're telling our kids that there's something else that's of greater priority to us than they are. Now, they don't know how to articulate and verbalize it that way, but that's the message. We got to be careful of that message, right? Have you ever seen a kid on Christmas morning? If you celebrate Christmas, kids in my house and when I grew up in our neighborhoods, you had a Christmas tree and you had presents. When you woke up Christmas morning, all the presents were on the floor. Christmas music, mom's making stuff that smells good, right? And have you ever seen, can you picture a kid standing in front of a Christmas tree? just with so much excitement that they're just bouncing up and down and they're giggling and they're just dancing around because they can't contain themselves. You ever seen that? Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God is that way about you. We sang it this morning. The Bible tells us that God dances over you with joy, while we're unaware, while we're at sleep, God, if you'd pardon me for kind of bringing him down the human terms, he's got the excitement of a little kid at Christmas. I woke up this morning and I told my wife, I said, I wish I, wish I had prepared better so that earlier in the week I could have asked the worship team to, to sing this song Amazed, because I just realized, man, it would be such a great song with my message. And I walked in this morning and they were singing it. And I just thought, that's God. So, I think what I need to say, if you don't remember anything else of what I say today, remember that one sentence, God delights in you. God dances over you with singing. That's our Father's heart, and that's the heart that we're to have as dads. Pretty challenging, pretty exciting, pretty neat stuff. So the first thing that God does as I look at him is he provides a relationship for his kids. The second thing that God has done for us as followers of Christ, as he provides a heritage for us. A heritage means the family background that you come from. You know, the, 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 the human background that we come from, our heritage as human beings is one of brokenness and sin and shame and darkness. But when we come into relationship with Christ, God gives us a brand new heritage. Romans chapter 8 says this, so you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. 
You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his son, Christ, is ours too. That's an amazing, amazing statement. You know, in the Roman culture at the time that this was written, when an adoption happened in the Roman culture, I, I always think of adoption as someone comes into a new circumstance. They come into a new family, right? And in the Roman um, law, it was written so clearly. They said, not only do you have all the rights and privileges of the new family, but you completely lose any and all rights of the old family. You don't get to keep your foot in both worlds and go, well, I like what they're having for dinner, you know, but I like what they're having for dessert. You can't, you couldn't do that. In the Roman culture, it was, this is no longer your story. This is your new story. This is your new heritage. God does that for us in Christ. Um, many families in this church have adopted or been involved with the adoption um, um, world. And my wife and I have two girls that we've adopted from China. We have two other biological children. And it's been one of the, maybe the most deeply moving and meaningful things we've ever experienced. And as adoptive parents, God has allowed us to see more of his heart for us. It's an amazing thing. When we thought about adopting um, our first one, Amanda, we didn't, we didn't really have the resources, and we had a small house, and we already had a young baby, but we felt God's called to do it, and absolutely has transformed our life. So here's, here's the first picture, if we've got it. This is the first picture we saw of our daughter, Amanda. Uh, when she, we adopted her when she was 13 months old, so who knows, she was eight or nine months old there, I don't know. And uh, six months before she was even born, we started the process of adoption. We started paying money, we started going to classes, we started having government officials, you know, uh, social services come to our house to make sure we were fit as parents. And we were praying for her before she was born. And then we got the picture and we fell in love with her. And it was as if once we saw the picture, we still had about six months to go before we could go get her. And God did the most amazing thing inside of us because we didn't feel like we were going to go and meet some child and bring them back to our house. We felt like someone had taken our daughter and taken her halfway across the world, and we weren't allowed to go see her for six months. That's how desperately we were waiting and planning and preparing to start the relationship with her. So that, that's her then. We've got another picture of her and her sister. Um, this was just a, a little while ago. So Amanda's on, uh, I don't know, the tall one. There we go, the tall one. Yeah. <laughs> And then Abigail, who I didn't show you a baby picture of, we were so taken by what God did through this in our family um, that we adopted a, a, another girl as well. So that's Abigail, and uh, Abby's pretty cool too. So um, God says, your heritage as a human being is dark, and I don't want your heritage to be dark, so through Christ, you get a brand new story. It gets written all new. It's a story of light and hope and joy and perfection and sinlessness because of Christ. It's a beautiful thing that God has done. So dads and moms, as we follow God, we need to provide a heritage for our kids. You know, a part of how we equate that is with our name. You want to have a good name, right? You want to have a, your family name. You want it to be a good name. The Bible says it's better to have a good name than to have riches and fame. Um, you know, my, my name is Ralph, right? I don't like my name, Ralph, right? Now, my name is Ralph. My dad's name is Ralph. Actually, Ralph Bertel, right? Ralph Bertel Howe III. That's who I am, right? My dad's Ralph Bertel Howe Jr. My grandfather's Ralph Bertel Howe Sr. And my cousin's Ralph 
Evans, right? Because my dad's sister married Evans. So we, when I, we would go to family picnics, we'd have four Ralphs running around. That could never happen anywhere else, right? Um, I was playing golf in the Indian Open, and I got announced when you play golf and you go to the first hole, you, they kind of want a loudspeaker and they call you to the first tee, right? And I love Indian accent, so I'm not making fun of it. I wish I was this cool. But um, they called me to the tee, and my name is written Ralph B, for Bertel, Ralph B. Howe the third, right? So in this wonderful Indian accent, this guy over the microphone calls me, and he says, would Ralph B. Howie three come to the tee, <laughs> right? And that's what happened. About 40 people busted out laughing, all these Americans. And, um, but I, I wish I had a different name. You know, the Bible says that God's going to give us a new name in heaven. And I'm like, oh, please, God, please, God, yes, I'm going to get a new name. I'm going to be cool in heaven, you know? Um, and you know, we didn't name my son Ralph the Fourth. Um, <laughs> we gave him a new name right off the bat, right? And that's a whole different story that I won't tell you. But, but dads and moms, we need to live our lives and conduct our affairs in such a way that we give a good heritage to our kids. The way we conduct our finances, our thought life, our social life, the way we speak to give them a good heritage. So God does that for us. And then the last point I make that God does for us is God does a relationship with us. He gives us a heritage. And then by Christ and by God's grace, we get a brand new destiny. How amazing is that? Again, you look at the Bible, it's perfectly clear. Our destiny apart from Christ is dark. It is hopeless and dark. And you know what God did? And, and again, I, I, I don't even want to compare myself to God, but, but God gave me as an adoptive dad a picture that I think he wanted to give me to, to kind of rebuild my spirit and tell me how much he loved me. Because the Bible says that God was so unwilling to accept my future apart from him that he sent his only begotten son. He came to earth himself and made the way for me to have a new future and a new story. Right? And we did that for, for our adopted girls by God's grace. And, you know, we hope they've got a better life in our family. But I know that everything in us as parents, for me as a dad, I'm working to provide a destiny for them that's different than the track they might have been on. God does that for you. When we were doing the adoption, um, all along the way we had interviews with people and we had to kind of, always felt like if we said the wrong thing they were going to pull the paperwork and we wouldn't get to do the adoption. But we always, we got asked about five times in a short period of time in about a week by five different people, do you understand that if you sign these papers and you do this adoption that everything you have will rightfully be this child's? You know, and, and we, we were polite, said yes, yes. About the fifth time, I got kind of frustrated, and I was just a little frustrated. I just said, we understand that the whole reason we're coming and doing this is because we want everything we have to be hers. Guys, that's God's heart for you. We're going to have the band's going to come back up, and we're going we're gonna to finish with Amazed again. And um, I want you to listen to the heart of God through these words. He rejoices over us with singing. Some of you may want to stand in worship. It's also fine to sit in this moment if you want to just sit and let this wash over you. You've got a father in heaven. Hopefully you had a dad and you have a dad who's encouraging and supportive and God-fearing. Even if you didn't, you've got that dad in heaven. So let's just let that truth sink in as we worship one more time.